This podcast is sponsored by THX, a globally renowned brand focused on delivering premium entertainment experiences and is passionate about telling the stories of the creators behind great productions. Find out more at THX.com. When I looked at your credit list, I had no idea how many projects you've been involved. It seems that you've been involved with video game music for quite some time. It's, this is not a new endeavor. Yeah, it's been... Um, I started working in video games, um, if I recall, uh, 97. Like, like... Was that Quake or...? Yeah, yeah exactly. It was. Uh, so basically, I was a huge gamer, uh, always growing up as a, as a kid. And then uh, I moved to LA to study music in 93. Mm-hmm. And uh, this little game came out called Quake in '96, which was scored by uh, you know Trent Reznor, obviously Nine Inch Nails back then. And uh, I, I was blown away because this was one of the first games that used like a CD in order to play back the tracks, right? So it was like netbook audio. And I was just I realized, wow, this is going to be the future of video games, like real music. You know, I'm gonna just mm-hmm. record whatever I can, and then I can put it on a CD. They can play it and it sounds great. I mean, were you even expecting, I guess, you know, what I read is basically it sounded like you had, you sent your first CD, Methods of Destruction. Oh my God. You did your research. Okay. I, I didn't do that much research. This is right here on Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, this is as, as lazy as you can get for research. But uh, what, what's the story there? Why, why were you even thinking about sending a CD at the time, 96, to ID Software? What, what was it about that? Uh, so basically, during that time, the community was like the big thing about Quake. It was like everything was done by fans, you know, more levels, clans. The multiplayer part was like huge and it exploded. And so I just had the idea to get some attention. Hey, why don't I do like an add-on audio CD that you can replace the original Quake with if you get bored and just put it in. And uh, I mean, would I play that CD today? I wouldn't play it for you, but <laughs> yeah, you know, 96, um, it was a good thing because they got a hold of that CD and, um, you know, basically I was offered to do Quake 2, not only because of it, but I was at the right time at the right place in 96. And then um, after working out some some more demo material, they called me, I, I think, early 97 and asked me if I wanted to do it, you know, and uh, it's kind of like, I never forget that phone call. It was still sits in here like a shock. Yeah pressure you know and then um having the realization that after i got the job they wanted a complete style of music different style of music than what i demoed for you know i mean but even when i listen to the you know even the some of those tracks from there there's still a stylistically reference i mean that first game set a precedent for the kind of the tonality of the quake world so there must have been something within your tones instrumentation whatever it was that they jive with yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I always like the darker side of things, right? I like, <laughs> yeah. I like, I don't like happy stuff really necessarily. Uh, even though dark doesn't mean not beautiful, yeah, it, it can also be beautiful. And uh, I think, um, I mean, you know, Quake Two was mostly sort of like rock metal, if you want, you know. And I have done a score since then that has that kind of influence with that particular genre with heavy guitars, you know. But obviously, uh, Doomsday. Uh, had that influence, you know, uh, even though it was much more cinematic, you know, so um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the sound will always be there. I will always sound like me, you know, even <laughs> right. though the guitars are missing, 
you know, it's like other composers sound like them, and I think that's more important than to do something that's that's hip or hop right now. You know, like you have to do it or just stay true to yourself. You know. Yeah, man. I guess you went through a string of, I guess, Quake Two, the soundtrack, then Ground Zero, then the Reckoning, and then in 2000 you jumped into Toronto Never Dies, the video game soundtrack. I mean, well, we go, going way back in time, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, these, these are games that mean a lot. What you're talking about, you're saying you're a gamer. I mean, Toronto Never Dies is... There's people still out there who, who play that title. That was a really funny story. I think back then, Tommy Tallarico yeah. contacted us uh, and asked, hey, after the Quake stuff, hey, you guys want to do some James Bond stuff for me? And uh, it was interesting because they let us do our thing, right? And... We, we didn't do the whole soundtrack, but then after uh, we finished our part, mm -hmm. like like nothing happened for half a year. And then when we heard the final soundtrack, like all the other stuff sounded exactly like our stuff, right? So I guess we did we did a good job, you know. But I mean, this was like way back, uh, you know. Uh, I, I guess if I would listen to it now, it'd cringe a little bit, maybe, uh -huh. at certain points, but... Uh, uh, but it was it was a great experience. I mean, you know, work on a Bond game was fun with the melodies and the themes of James Bond. You know, kind of messing it up a little bit with keyboards, and you know, we had the theme going through distortion and stuff like that. So it was fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So at what point at, were you even going under the the moniker of Sonic Mayhem at that point? Um, yes, and that name was. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. It was just, it was like mid nineties. I just, we had to come up with some kind of name, um, you know, sort of like something cool that would transcend, you know, like what we do with the music, you know, what I do with the music, kind of darker, uh, you know, I, I guess if you would ask me today, I'll probably just use my real name. Yeah. You know, composer, you know, but we started out as a project kind of like almost a band. If you yeah, will. sure. And so it kind of moved into the direction of that people started to hire me for compositional duties and not as a band, you know, because a band has a certain type of sound, but a composer switches to stylistic sometimes all the time, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, even going back, I mean, before all this madness happened and I guess started in 96, 97, what, what, what were you doing for that period of time? What you were gaming, but what, what was that, that journey like? Dude, I was, uh, I mean, like I said, I moved from uh, Germany in 93 to, uh, to L.A. straight up, uh, went to music school, went to UCLA, uh, you know, got my music theory down. Um, and then basically, and it was, this was funny, I was in the car, I remember this, driving around after finishing all school and basically asking myself, OK, what now? Like, what do I do with all this knowledge and experience? And as you recall, during that time. There was no such thing as a video game composer. No. There no. were there were four people doing it. There was Tommy Tallarico. There was, um, gosh, I, but I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I'm, I'm forgetting all the names. Uh, well, Jack Wall, uh -huh. of course, yep. was there um, with his Mist uh, stuff, which was great. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, I guess um, even um, Marty McDonald. Marty McDonald. Of course, yeah, all the Lucas, Lucas Arts guys. Brilliant. I mean, that's like this stuff. That's part of the reason, you know, why I do what I do today, because these guys were so inspiring. Even with the MIDI music, the crappy sound that we had, the melodies were so amazing that it was like, oh, my God, this is great, you know. And, that, and then the Quake soundtrack was the catalyst for realizing the technology is not catching up. We can now have real music on these games, you know. So... 
Um, and that was, I think Jesper Kitt was around that time too. Uh, we knew each other as well and uh, great talent as well. And uh, it was just sort of like sit and observe. I was 94, 95. I was waiting for something like a break. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, those days were so much smaller. The community was so small that literally we were all in a, in a uh, I don't know if you know MRIC, that chat relay. It was like a. Oh, like yeah, a chat. sure. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. IR, IRC, yeah. Exactly. And that was a room in software, and people would hang out, and uh, it was. Um, yeah, you know, like after a while, just catching the attention of some of those people working at id and literally starting off a conversation in a private chat window. This is something that's unthinkable today. Yeah. You know, so if the kids, when they come up to me today and ask me, hey, how do we get into business? You know, I always tell them, do you want me to be honest or do you want me to lie? <laughs> you know, because it's tough, man. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, I guess, I mean, for you, how do you, when you look back at those times of the tools you had around you, the technology that was available, what was it about maybe the, the limitations that it kind of, like, what did you lean on at the time to really make it possible? That's a great question. Um, and I'm, I'm actually grateful that I grew up during that time because, as you know, there's like a renaissance going on right now with all the retro stuff, you know, retro synthwave sure. stuff. Uh, people buying synths again, you know, I have friends who sold their synths, like, 15 years ago, and now they're buying them all back, you know, for like triple the money, you know. Um, the technology was very limited. I mean, I remember during Quake 2, there wasn't even the VST standard yet invented. It was, I think, invented in 97 by Steinberg, but it was like so rough. There was like two plugins out there, and uh, the, Q, the computer took like five minutes to boot up, you know, for, the, for Cubase. Uh, so it was more about real keyboards, uh, uh, real sort of, you got to catch something in the moment and you didn't have time to tweak it. You know, I think today you have this endless ability. Oh my God, it's not perfect. We got to tweak it. And I, I'm victim of that myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, Doomsday took me two years to do, you know, for a reason, uh, because I was so obsessed with it, you know. Um, and I think some of that experimentation, just like let it go, is is gone today because you record something and then you re-record it until it's perfect, even though that these mistakes are what kind of makes it more interesting, you know? So the tools were definitely limited, but it had it had its advantages, you know, to... What was the, the changing point for you, do you think, when you saw technology really take a... I guess it was influencing your work style, your workflow differently. When did you kind of jump off and make a change? I think when sort of audio recording really became sort of a part of all the sequencing software, you know, like when it really became, you could just edit 20 tracks without a problem, the computer power increased, and all of a sudden in 2001, it was all about doing it in the box. You know, it was doing it in computers. And, and, I, and I think people got tired of it now, and I think that's why we have this renaissance of, and, and I'm including myself, I have you know, lots of hardware here in the studio, um, because I love the interaction with no knobs and buttons more than with the mouse and computer, you know? But it was definitely when the computers got more powerful in the 2000, uh, you know, hard drive, uh, audio recording got uh, sort of like the norm just to, without a problem, you know? So th that, that changed things a lot, you know? But uh, I personally have never lost that touch with the hardware, you know, relationship that I always have, you know? 
what instruments were you playing growing up? What did you start on? Uh, I started on piano, just, you know, pure, straight up classical German boy. <laughs> uh, teacher with, a, with a, you know, hitting me on my fingers if I play a wrong note. Okay. That kind of old school thinking and um, playing Bach and stuff like that. And then uh, switching to drums at some point. And then, uh, you know, of course, bass and guitar and all the rest of the stuff just kind of came along, you know? Yeah. I mean, how has it been in terms of just being known as someone who works on video games? I mean, being a gamer, I can imagine this must be heaven for you, but do you have aspirations to do other types of projects now? Yeah, that that's, it's, that's a really good point. It's actually, I think, extremely difficult to, you know, let's say, going from my position, because I started out as a video game composer, like you said, yeah, going, breaking out of that, 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 uh, that, 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 uh, what's it called? that jacket and kind of like trying to embrace TV or movies. Um, it's much easier for somebody who's established in a big band, let's say, you know, whatever out there to go and say, Hey, I want to score that movie. So the aspiration is definitely at some point leaving games behind even though I love games, but the scoring for video games is extremely challenging in terms of technicality. And I I like to think that I want to score music for a picture, for a, for a medium that sort of, you know, doesn't require tracks that loop and repeat itself. And and it's more like a constant evolving, uh, uh, shape of, of music than, than to just go for a minute and then it repeats itself. And I, then I need more layers and, you know, I need to do this technical stuff. I think it's holding you back a little bit musically. So ultimately, if you ask me what I would like to do in five years, maybe, or even closer, it's definitely TV and movies, especially TV with the current surge of since, you know, used in scores and you know, all these shows, obviously. Um, it's definitely on my map. I mean, I'm, you know, we're trying, you know? Yeah, sure. And I, I wonder too, you know, even just looking at the credits and the, and, and how many projects looks like you can maybe up to two a year video game titles is kind of where you max out at. Um, what is it about just knowing that you only have so much time throughout the year to work on and take on projects? How selective, what is it that really makes you commit to a project then? What do you look for? <laughs> well, you know, a couple of years ago, you sort of, look at it and you, you, you know, I mean, I, 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 I won't lie. I mean, at some point, obviously you need to live, right? So yeah, you, sure. you look at, look at the money and you want to make money too, but you want to make art as well. You know, like I, I want to do both. I think what's happening now that I'm a little bit more picky, you know, because I necessarily don't want to repeat the exact same thing. What I just done, for example, with Deus Ex on another project, that's kind of like the same cyberpunky and, you know, people, because this happens all the time. You work on a project, people call you and say, hey, can you yeah. do that same sound for this project and this? And you're just like, eh, I guess I could do it. But I think I, I kind of look for a little bit more of a challenge, you know, like something that I haven't either done before or I don't know, like like something I'm really comfortable with, but where I can just go and do whatever I feel like doing. You know, you know I mean, I mean, there is a actually a little game called The Long Dark. I don't know if you're aware of this. No, um, not enough. This is uh, by the guys, they're called Hinterland Studios, and they are, um, the lead designer is from, uh, I worked with him on Space Marines. Oh, nice. And it's a survival game. It's really beautiful, and we have this super, super minimalistic score, 
ambient, kind of uh, reminiscent of The Revenant. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and, and, you know, something like that, where he really kind of pushed me a little bit to do something outside of my comfort zone. Um, I, I would even say it has a little bit of Twin Peaks influences yeah. in there. You know, uh, I play it for you after the... Uh, no, the, I see it here. I just read it's a first-person open-world survival simulation video game. I yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really, <laughs> it's a smaller game. It's a smaller developer now. It's an indie game, of course, but... Uh, the music is pretty good and, uh, you know, stuff like that, just yeah. where it's, it's not about the money, but it's more about just doing something creatively that's satisfying. No, so that's, that's really important. I imagine also, I mean, maybe that's what got you to the point of working on the Doomsday album. What, what was your hope for that then, since you didn't have like a client per se? Right, right. Um, the Doomsday thing. So basically after in 2012, after we finished Mass Effect 3, um, I was at a point and, you know, I was completely burned out. I was, I mean, we worked tirelessly. I, I think I did like seven, eight titles until that point back to back, you know, like every, I, I think in one year, I even, you know, like in four months we worked on three titles and it almost like health wise, it would kill you. Yeah. You know, because we really never had, uh, I'm, I'm not somebody who works with a lot of assistants, you know, like, Hey, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? I actually write all the music by myself. Wow. Okay. There's no, I have a few people that help out from time to time uh, on technical issues, but comp- compositional wise, it's been very hard to find somebody that you can say, hey, can you do this cue for me? Uh, I'm sure it's out there. I just haven't looked yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Doomsday, so I was burned out, uh, took a break uh, consciously. I, I really took off and, you know, traveled a little bit and just lived life a little bit. And then I said to myself, okay, well, I need to do something that's fulfilling for my artist ego. Just to get something out there that represents me as an artist where nobody has to say, nobody tells me what to do. And that was why Doomsday happened. It was basically just me looking for the self uh, to prove myself that I can do something that I'm happy with, which any musician can tell you it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it maybe the results sound easy. Yeah, it sounds cool, whatever. But to get there is really hard. And uh, it was just a need, you know, to fulfill your own artistic ego. And, uh, you know, it took me a little bit longer than I anticipated. Uh, had a couple of great collaborations on there. Uh, and that's sort of like the first stepping stone of, of everything else that happened afterwards, you know, like with the Days X gig, you know. What was the inspiration for the Doomsday? I mean, with a title like Doomsday, it already kind of sends up a, a tone, but what, what was your hope for thematically? Um, so the one thing when you're a video game composer that's really difficult is to compose music to no visuals because, and, and this is what artists do. I mean, their bands sit down, they write tracks to no visual or concept. Maybe some of them do, you know, like the old school bands in the 70s, Pink Floyd, yeah, Tangerine sure. Dream. You know, they had they had these visuals, you know, so I had to come up with the visual concept. And we sat down with a friend of mine, a German director back then, who had the idea, why don't we do like a futuristic video with robots and something just fucked up and, uh, uh, you know, like sort of like. In the, 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 there's a promotional video that I released in 2012. It's re, it's old now, but that video that that story was based on that they are 
robots that are self-aware and that basically produce music that will be used as a virus to destroy humanity. I mean, which sounds <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but yeah. you got to come up with some kind of weird concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the doomsday concept that 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 machines learn how to be aware and write music and what it would sound like if they would write music, you know? Um, so that's why you have that really dark, crazy, crunchy sound, but it's mixed in with some beautiful cinematic elements. So from from just going through the process of releasing and working on this project, is that what led you then to the Mankind Divided event or, or project? That's, uh, yeah, that's, um, so I worked together with uh, Greg O'Connor-Reed from Top Dollar PR, uh, who's my PR agent, and absolute, with Valerie, his wife, uh, the best team on the planet. And they uh, made uh, Steve Chapowski, the audio director of DSX, aware of Doomsday. So I put together like a little VIP package with the vinyl, with the yeah. CD, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, just had him have a listen, and it, it wasn't necessarily inspired by the original Deus Ex, but 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 it had those arpeggios, the synths, the analog retro vibes, you know, or like future retro vibes, as I call it. And we had a discussion uh, for a couple of weeks over the phone, and then I wrote some more custom music for them. And then I was working on Mankind Divided. I mean, that record definitely helped uh, get that gig, you know, and. I was uh, extremely satisfied because even though I wanted to write this record just for myself, like to prove myself that I can do it, I wanted to use it as sort of like a resume aspect, you know, like to say, hey, here, here's what I can do. You know, do you like the sound? You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, definitely, and you will hear on the DSX soundtrack, on the final soundtrack, you definitely hear elements of that doomsday flavor that I snuck in somewhere that hopefully the audio director will not listen right now. <laughs> I don't know if he realizes that, but it's definitely in there for sure. Like when I look at all all your work, all the titles you worked on, and so much of um, the sound that you've created, you said it's it's dark, but not, you know, it's not depressing. It's no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. In your mind, uh, like what is the challenge of coming up with unique themes or coming up with diversity among your music? So it just doesn't all sound the same. What is it about the instrumentation that you use that you're able to separate? these from one another? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, look, I'm I'm definitely a synth guy, right? I'm not an orchestra, an orchestra guy. I love orchestra. I grew up with Bach, Stravinsky, all these people. Um, and my music has a lot of melody still, but I think a lot of times you can, if you come up with unique sounds, you necessarily don't need to fill it up constantly with a lot of content uh, left and right. But I think each track, for, for me, music or a track is like a story, right? Like a journey that I want to take you as the listener on. And in particular with the DSX soundtrack that's actually uh, being released a little, a little uh, insert, insert here, December 2nd. Yeah, for everybody. coming very um, soon. Yes, uh, you know, together, uh, Mike McCann has some music on there as well and Ed Harrison. And, but my goal was to take the music from the game as an example now to your question. And start up basically from scratch with the rough outline of how the music was in the game because in the game it was technically limited because it had to loop even if somebody would play the game in in, in uh, non-combat mode so that would never engage the enemy they wouldn't even hear the combat tracks right which is kind of like the thought of it was kind of depressing 
because I'm thinking, oh my god, all this work in the drum recording and nobody will hear these tracks. So yeah, yeah. So I started kind of from scratch, even though with the basic outline of these tracks, and I say to myself, okay, you are the perfect example. Like Michael Coleman listens to the soundtrack with you have no visuals. Yeah. You put, put the headphones on. What story do I want to tell? So that is the difference between, and I think that is important to me, even if I have two minutes of the same thing repeating itself, if there's a purpose for it, musically, where it goes, and where it comes from, and it ties together nicely uh, with the arrangement, I think then I've done my job. You know what I mean? So um, if that answers your question, I'm not sure. If was, I got second I'm not even sure if it did, but it was a great answer. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I think I think one of the things I'm always curious when I talk with the composers. I mean, I don't have a musical background. I mean, I play some guitars and I'll pick up a drum kit every now and then, but I don't call myself a musician. I think the creative process is one of the most interesting things when it comes to whether it's pen to paper or mouse, you know, on the screen. It seems that everyone has their process. And nowadays, like you're saying, this one-man army of composing is very much so a reality just because we all have access to these amazing tools that let you do this. I mean, it's such a isolated experience of writing music. What is it about the process that you enjoy? What is it about just this thing that you've been kind of, you've been doing? Right. That's a great question, man. Um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. It can be a very, very daunting and frustrating process because it's kind of like a painter when you start up with an empty canvas and you have all the colors on the table, right? You look at the canvas and you go, well, fuck. Sorry for the language. <laughs> You're like, what am I going to do, right? Like, which color, which which shade of blue am I going to use, right? So the hardest part is the start. And what I've learned is that I can't force the initial inspiration part. I can be technical. If you tell me right now, hey, write me a jingle. I, ha I need it by tomorrow. And be cliche, you know, sound like, I don't know, like, like, like uh, Coldplay's clocks or something with the piano beginning. Yeah, I can do that. That's easy. But... Like when I work on DSX, you know, it's not like I'm sitting down and I know exactly what I want 100%. I have an idea of, of, of some soundscape that sits in my head because after looking at the artwork, you know, like there's this one level that's called martial law. So there's the, the martial law is engaged, which means, of course, nobody's allowed outside. So the music needs to have tension. It needs to be dark. It needs to be pulsating, sort of like, you know, you could be caught anytime. That helps, you know, you hear something, but to get this out of your head is the hardest part. And I think any composer will tell you that, that the beginning process of writing a tune or whatever is the hardest because if you don't have time, you have to be very secure with yourself, to trust yourself to just maybe, you know, if you would take, I have an idea that I'm working on right now on something. Maybe if you hear it, you'd be like shaking your head. This is like ridiculous. This is nothing. Yeah, yeah. But it's the fact that I'm hearing something from those four notes that nobody else hears, the importance in them. And so you just basically sit down and you get the work done and it can be very lonely, you know, sitting by yourself. And I'm not somebody who shares the process. I had many people come up and say, hey, can I film you? Why don't you twitch mm. your, your your process like like young kids do? Sure. But, but to me, it's a really personal process that I would not want to be filmed because it's intimate in a way. And and I don't want to violate that intimacy. I want to be in the zone, you know? And I think if somebody would be here with a camera, I'd be not, I would have a hard time getting in the zone. 
So it's really all about focus. It's about trusting yourself, and it's about being having enough visual as a material to be inspired by. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I imagine that being that you've been in this industry for over huh. 20 years, a little a few years here, the community is uh, an incredibly small one when it comes to even video game composers. What is it about just being a part of this community, especially in LA? How do you describe? being a video game composer in LA, making your career off of the work that you do. <laughs> Here's the thing how it works in LA. All the game composers know each other and we all try not to stab each other in the back. <laughs> um, and we all try to have lunch and we all flag out every time. Okay. We want to have lunch. So that's basically sums it up. Uh, but no, seriously, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't really see a lot of the other guys, even though we all are in LA, everybody's doing their thing. Yep. Uh, but we have from time to time events like PAX in Seattle. I just was there for, for the DSX event. And I ran into a few composers like Jack Wall, Inon Zur, and all these guys. And, you know, it's like seeing an old friend. You know, you just hug it out and you're, you know, tease each other, give each other shit. And, uh -huh. you know, you say, oh, man, your score sucked for that, you know. Or, sure, uh, sure. Just, just play around a little bit. But I think it's, uh, even though everybody's in LA, it's a pretty isolated community of composers because... People don't really, you know, get together all the time for drinks or, or, or like everybody is basically doing their own thing. Right. And, and I think that's okay. You know, I have a few composers that I'm friends with that I talk to on a weekly basis, but uh, it's... Uh, it's not competitive, I imagine. It's I mean, not. I mean, it's not competitive in terms of like the, the close friends that you have. It's just more of checking in and getting yeah, feedback. Yeah, I, I, th I think it's still competitive, but I think now we're at a point where... You know, like somebody who, let's say, hires Inon Zur would never hire me because they want that sound and vice versa, you know, because now each of us, like, are known for a certain sound or, or, or ability or what they can do. Not to say that I, you know, if somebody would come to me and say, hey, I need for this music some, uh, you know, Desplat, some yeah, classical, sure. I would yeah, love yeah, yeah. to do it. I mean, I can do it right. if, I get, if I get the chance. Maybe I sneak in a little synth underneath, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, I think the community is there, but it's very uh, sort of everybody's shielded in a way, you know, with their own busy with their own lives. And, and yeah, but but when these events happen, we run into each other and it's all good. You know, what, what has happened in terms of what, like you said, this is, I mean, an amazing time for video games where the amount of people that are playing the community the fact that people are live streaming, there's it's a completely different beast than when it, when you'd be on a dial-up mode and playing with your friends on like Unreal oh, or yeah. you know whatever. I mean, that, those are amazing times for what they were, but nowadays the music is just as important as the sound, and and the, because these are themes that people are going to be hearing hours on end. You know, as a gamer, what does it mean to you? I guess knowing that someone else out there is going to be kind of chasing that same path that you went on as a gamer, turning into a music composer. It's, uh, I mean, the industry has changed in a lot of ways, partially for the better. And then the other side, of course, is that it's much more impersonal today, which means is that somebody comes up right now and wants to score video games. It's very hard to hang out with the developers in terms of, man, I remember E3 in 96. I was hanging out with John Romeo, like, you know, like buddies. We were like at the booth together, you know, the whole IT crew was there. Um, it was like small, small community. You had a really great interaction with them, you know. And then if you said, "Hey, can I write some music for you?" They would go, "Hey, sure," you know. Today it's this complete. You're lucky if you get a meeting. Yeah. Go to a meeting, 
they will tell you, oh, it has rescheduled. <laughs> so um, that's not to say that the young people of today shouldn't should lose their faith. Right. Look, I always say if you're really talented, if you really have the drive and the passion, go for it. Because at some point it's gonna pay off. You know. Yeah. But I guess today people have to just separate really look at the mirror and say, okay, do I really want this or do I just wanna be cool? Mm-hmm. You know, you need to want this. Otherwise yeah. it's not I guess that goes with every any career, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I guess for you, uh, do you still find find time to play games? Are you still involved? Absolutely, man. Yeah. What are you playing? I'm playing right now Battlefield One. Okay. With the multiplayer, of course, which yeah. is absolutely immensely insane. Um, in terms of sound design, it's marvelous. Right. Music is gorgeous too, of course. Yeah. Uh, these guys, man, outdo each other in the sound department every release. It's, it's. I don't know if, if you played it. Or yeah, I, I mean, I had a chance to talk with the Dice team. It's phenomenal to see what, how they reinvent a title like that. I mean, I'm not as much uh, of a multiplayer, but I love. I, yeah, I, I do. I think it's, it's. You know, I, I mean, I have nothing to do with it, but you have to give them props because, like you, like you said, what they really did is everybody goes futuristic more lasers, more laser spiders or whatever. And those guys go back in time and just make it even cooler. I mean, the sort of visceral feeling of the gameplay is just incredible. You know, I mean, I don't have hours to play all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I take a break and I play half an hour, play a game. Of course, I played Mankind Divided because I wanted to see how the implementation goes. Uh, What else did I play? I played... uh, Do you prefer multiplayer? Um... Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because you can just jump in a game, and then after 20 minutes, you're done. Okay. Because the single player, a lot of times when you start it, and then you forget what the story is like, and you got interrupted for like sure. for like six months, and you go back, and you're like, oh, what the hell is going on? That happened so, to me for Mass Effect, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which one, the third one? or uh, The second or third, I don't know. I, I think it was probably the third. Yeah, same thing. Like I hadn't played it for a while. I was like, I don't even remember what I was doing. Yeah, you, you, you get back into the game, load up the save game, and then you're in the middle of the conversation with these characters, yeah. and you're like, what was I doing? I have no idea. Exactly. Yeah. But no, I, I absolutely game. I mean, I, I every day, and maybe maybe for the most up to like 30 minutes, you know, only, but I still check out all the games. Um, I have an extreme sense of... of uh, my, my attention span is super short. If I don't like the first 10 minutes, it's like a movie. I will not play it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. fair enough. So I guess um, being that you have, I guess, this title coming out or the uh, the music and whatnot in the game here in December, wh- what are we looking for or looking towards in the new year? Um, so that yeah, you can so, say. So the, yeah, exactly. So the soundtrack comes out uh, December 2nd and I know there's a lot of people that were kind of mad that it took us so long to release it because the game came out in August. Right. And people were all like on my Twitter, you know, where's the soundtrack? Where's the soundtrack? Yeah, yeah. And so what we decided to do, and just quickly to insert that here, is that uh, we basically, like I said earlier, took all the, 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 the music of the best tracks and said, okay, how can we rearrange this music to pre- be presentable to for a listening experience? And not only that, but we rewrote par- uh, parts of it and added new sections. So the music that you hear is actually exactly like it is in the game, but it has a new arrangement, new parts to make it more interesting. And, you know, uh, we had an amazing team, you know, mixing and, and mastering it. Uh, I'm really happy with the final results. And that comes out December 2nd on CD via Something Else Music Works, um, which is Nile Rogers' label, of course. Very, very proud of, very proud of that. Um, 
And uh, so for the new year, that's, that's, that's another thing. I have a um, couple of things. So the first thing is that I'm building a base or a studio out of Berlin again. So I'm gonna go back to Berlin uh, for a couple of months out of the year to sort of soak up that, 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 that inspiration, you know, because it's a much different environment. Uh, and LA is cool, but man, I'm getting kind of tired of the heat okay. and, and the traffic, you know, so... Um, you want uh, some cold and darkness. I want some cold and darkness. <laughs> clouds, give me clouds. <laughs> Rain and clouds is what I want. And uh, so yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, number one. And number two is I'm going to have a sequel to Doomsday. Oh, nice. Which is exciting because not only do I have uh, some amazing collaborations planned, which unfortunately I can't mention yet, sure. but uh, and I'm, 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 I will write it in a way because I want to ultimately take this on the road. I want to do a live show. Oh, nice! In 2017, where I maybe play some of the tracks from Deus Ex, from Mass Effect, mm -hmm. uh, Quake, and uh, but also play new music. And I have no idea if people would be actually interested in seeing or hearing this, but this is definitely on my bucket list. Cool. That, that I always wanted to do. And in terms of games, uh, there's going to be uh, more music for The Long Dark, mm. the indie game. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, I have to leave you off with the typical unannounced, I can't talk about That's it. That's great. Bullshit. I'm sorry. I know. Well, either it's going to be Mass Effect or Borderlands or no. <laughs> no, none of those. No, no, no. Actually, with the last Mass Effect, we have no, uh, no, uh, nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to playing it, though, because it looks freaking amazing. Yeah, Very yeah. Just, and yeah, for people yeah. who want to just stay in touch with you, obviously, I guess your website's a good place to go. Social media, where? Yes, uh, go to Twitter slash Sonic Mayhem. Um, there's also Facebook, Sonic Mayhem Official. And there is the uh, the official website, sonicmayhem.com, uh, where you can also purchase still a copy of Doomsday if you want, which is, of course, also all over uh, Apple Music and Spotify and all the streaming places. And uh, like I said, you know, DSX comes out December 2nd and I'm excited for people to hear it. And uh, there is some more music coming out with regards to DSX as well. So I'll leave you with that. Stay tuned. Well, thank you, Sasha. It was a lot of fun talking to you. I had a lot of fun listening to the music. It's, it's one thing just to listen to the music. Now I want to go play the game. That's always the thing. Either you play the game first and you listen to the music or listen to the music, then play the game. So I'm excited to check these out. Um, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, let me know what you think. <laughs> Thank you again, Sasha. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was glad to be here. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for tuning in and listening to my chat with composer Sasha Tikasian. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, THX, a globally renowned brand focused on delivering premium entertainment experiences and is passionate about telling the stories of the creators behind great productions. Find out more at THX.com.